Verse 18, wives, be submissive to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now, we can do as many others have done over the years, and we can take this verse and we can twist it, um, you know, to fit our own concept of the way things should be. Or we can do as others have, and we can blast it and say, you know, this is really out of step with modern society. This is something for a bygone era. Uh, both, of those, both of those viewpoints, both of those positions are really grossly inappropriate. Uh, you know, it's an offense to God and to his word, and it does a great disservice to God. It does a great disservice to his to his um, his people at large, to everybody, to society in general, to the church, to the families. It does a great disservice to that. First, let's you know look at what this verse says right here, and then what we're going to do is pull in a few other scriptures as we as we go along. They're listed for you in your outline. I, I uh, didn't print out the scriptures; just the, the uh, reference. They'll be on the screen for you. Um, you know, because I, I want the best. Interpreter of scripture is other scripture. And I try to help you with that every week. The best way to find out what scripture says is to look at what other Bible verses say, and it gives us a a fuller picture. There are no contradictions in scripture. If you feel there's contradictions, again, I'd encourage you to dig deeper because God knows what God said. And he is, you know, he's not confused about things. Uh, he, He understands very clearly, you know, what he says in scripture. He's not confused about what he wants to communicate. Now, the first thing we need to notice in this verse and what you need to understand is this verse is directed to the wife about her husband, not to the husband about his wife. You see, nowhere, nowhere in Scripture does it tell a husband to make your wife submit. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that. This is a this is a a call, you know, to the wife here. Nowhere in Scripture does it tell a husband to take control of his wife. That is, that is not biblical. Let's look at what is being said here. That word translated submissive, some translations say submit, some say be subject, wife be subject to her husband. It's a military term. And that military term means to rank under or to arrange under. Some of you have served in the service. Some of you are, you know, continuing in the service. Um, and whatever your rank is, you see, uh, this is what he's, what this military term is telling us. You know, that, that there are, there are, there's rank, there's, there's a, a division, if you will, uh, there that, that is, why is a private a private? Because he submits to those over him. He's a private because he submits to those over him. You know, why is, why is a sergeant a sergeant? Well, because, you know, because he or she has agreed to serve in that role and have people under them and people above them. You see, it's a military term. It means to rank under, you know, to range under. It is not, it is not a statement of value. It is never a statement of value. It is a statement of position. It is a statement of role. Not a statement of value. 
A private is no less valuable than a sergeant. A sergeant is no less valuable than a corporal. A corporal is no less valuable than a general. Okay, so you've already got my, you know, how I know there's other things in between there, but that's all I know. Um, you know, so, you know, it's not this statement of value. It's a statement of position or role. It addresses the relationship between two parties. That's what this word does. It addresses that relationship, not the value of either person. It, you know, it doesn't have anything to do with value. It has to, it has to do with the, the way in which they relate. This is the same word that is used to describe Jesus taking a position under his earthly parents. In Luke chapter 2, it says, Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and was obedient to them. He placed himself under their care and their leadership. Think about that for a moment. Jesus never ceased to be God. When he was walking here on this earth, he wasn't any less God. He wasn't, you know, he, he wasn't like... Uh, you know, well, I'm not God for a while. I'm just, you know, he was fully human and fully God. And he placed himself under the leadership and the guidance of his earthly parents. It's that same word. It's also the word, the, the words used in a negative sense in, in to describe those who rebel against God in Romans chapter 8. For the mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit. It does not submit itself to God's law, for it's unable to do so. You see, the mindset that is hostile to God does not place themselves under the care and leadership of God. You know, there is that, there's always that choice to disobey God. It's called sin. You know, there's always that opportunity to sin. And, you know, the, the, the mind that is hostile to God, the mindset, you know, the, mind that, the mindset of the flesh, of that which, you know, which wants to do what I want to do. I heard you, God, but, you know, I got a different idea. You know, some are so bold as to say I have a better idea. Um, yeah, but that, 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 that mindset of the flesh is hostile to God. Why? Because it doesn't submit. It does not, it does not put itself under. It does not put itself under, uh, you know, the care and the leadership of God. Now, Paul uses this in other places, too. And Peter uses it in telling us how he wants us to relate to government. In Romans chapter 13. Everyone must submit, that's the same word, everyone must submit to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist are instituted by God. Peter says, submit to every human authority uh, because, of the, because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as, supreme, as the supreme authority, he goes on, you know, he said, but you know, we're to yield and to follow those properly constituted authorities, is what he says. But only in so far as it's not sin, because in that Romans passage, he says, you know, th that you submit to those that are exist that are instituted by God. Here he says, you do this why because of the Lord. There's the limitation. You do it because of the Lord. You're doing this out of your service to God. Out of your service to God, you are doing what he says, which is to submit to every human authority there. 
James uses the word to describe our relationship to God. He says, therefore, submit to God. Therefore, place yourself under, you know, place yourself under God. Follow him. Yield to him. Trust his leadership. Trust his care for you. Place yourself under the care and leadership of God, he's saying. It's the same word that it's used addresses, you know, the, the relationship of creation to Christ and the relationship within the Trinity. 1 Corinthians 15. For God has put everything under. There's, God has put everything under his feet. But when it says everything is put under him, it's obvious that he puts, that he who puts everything under him is the exception. Now, look at the first part of this verse. The first part of this verse is he's telling us that all creation is under Christ Jesus. All creation is there. All creation is subject to him. All creation is under the leadership and care of Christ Jesus. And he goes on, you know, and he says, you know, but uh, it is obvious that he who puts everything under him is the exception. We say, well, what, what's that talking about? Jesus Christ has, has placed himself under the lead of God the Father. This is speaking of that relationship within the Trinity. Uh, you know, we get a glimpse of that in, in Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11 says, All things have been entrusted, Jesus is speaking, all things have been entrusted to me by my Father. You know, all things have been put under what we just looked at in the first Corinthians. All things, you know, all things are, are subject to me. All things have been uh, under, under my leadership by the Father, he says. Um, no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. It gives us that picture, that picture of that, of that leadership within, uh, and this submission within the Trinity. A little bit later in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus says, Now concerning that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son. Well, wait a second. I thought, you know, he was, this is that leadership except the Father only. Now, it's important for us to note that Jesus was and is, you know, always fully God. He, is, he, he never set that aside. He is, was, and will be fully God. And, you know, as God, part of that trinity, there is order. Jesus arranged himself under the Father is what we're told, the, the picture we're given here. It didn't and it doesn't make him any less God. He is still fully God in every aspect. Scripture makes that very clear. Even though there is that, that order there, he still is fully God. He's not God number two. There is only one God made up of Father, Son, and the Spirit. There is only one God. It's not God number one, God number two, and God number three. It's, you know, it's one God existing in three persons as one essence, as one reality of God. And there is order within that. Because submission's not a reflection of value. It does not reflect the value. It is a choosing of a relationship for the betterment of the whole. That's the scriptural picture. Now, Peter and Paul use the word to describe the relationship between a husband and a wife. And first Peter says, in the same way, wives, submit yourself to your own husband, so that even if some disobey the Christian message, they may be won over without a message by the way their wives live. He's talking to he's talking to Christian women here who want their husband either to A come to know Christ or B come to grow in Christ. And what he is saying is submit yourself to their leadership, you know, put arrange yourself under their leadership and care. 
one of the things that became very apparent to me when I became a father, I have a responsibility. You know, there's this whole new responsibility. Unfortunately, what happens sometimes in, in, uh, in a marriage is that the man forgets his responsibility to his wife. And he forgets that he is responsible to God for her. Now, the wife has a choice. She can ignore her husband and do things anyway. Or she can help her husband grow by reminding him of the responsibility that he has before God to lead her and to care for her. Now, again, remember, this is not a statement of value. It is never put in here as a statement of value. I think as Paul's use in Ephesians uh, gives us a fuller picture here of the relationship God calls between calls for between a husband and a wife. And it's right in line with what we see in Colossians 3. The instructions really start back in, in verse 15 of Ephesians chapter 5. I, wanna, I want us to see those before we move down into the other ones. He says, pay careful attention then to how you walk. Not as unwise people, but as wise. Making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. So he starts this section, this, you know, the, the, these words that he's about to lay out for them, about to lay out for us. He starts this with saying, pay careful attention. He says, you know, pay careful attention to how you walk. Pay careful attention to how you live. Pay very careful attention to how you operate every single day in this world. Not as unwise people. <coughs> Not as unwise, but those who are wise. Those who are seeking after God. Those who want to know God better. Those who want to grow in God. He says, make the most of it. Why? Because the days are evil. He says, so don't be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. He says, look at what the Lord's will is. You can either follow the Lord's will or you can be foolish and do your own thing. You always have that opportunity to go, you know, to ignore what God says. And what's that called again? Sin. You know, so this is what he's laying out there for him. It's that focus on yielding to God. It is the focus here, uh, that call to yield to God, to follow his will, to do what he wants, following him. Then he applies it several practical ways before applying it to the marriage relationship. Real quickly, he says, don't get drunk with wine, uh, uh, which leads to reckless action, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord. There's verses that, that were just like that in, in Colossians that we looked at a couple weeks ago. Uh, he goes on, he says, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and submitting to one another out of fear of Christ. Out of fear of Christ. Submitting to one another, he says. Here's where the relationship between a husband and a wife starts. The relationship between a husband and a wife should be one of mutual submission, but how can that work? You know, how 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 does that how does that work? Here's where this is where it starts. Right here is where it starts. Why do I say that? Well, because he put this verse before the next one. 
and so you know as 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 he you know as he is working through here after he says to submit to one another he says wives submit to your own husbands as to the lord for the husband is the head of the wife as christ is the head of the church you know he is the savior of the body now this is the first application of the call to submit to one another that you find in verse 21 the word submit does not appear in verse 22 you said well yes it does i see it right there what you're seeing is the translation of verse of of, of verse 22 uh, you know and the, the word submit does not actually appear there it is an application of what is stated in verse 21 it a more literal translation would read like this submitting to one another in the fear of christ wives to your own husband is to the Lord. You see what he is doing is he, it is a continuation of the thought. It is a continuation of what he said in verse 21. You know, and here too, the instruction here is given to the wife, not to the husband. But look at the further guidance here. You know, wives to your own husband as to the Lord. As to the Lord is what he's saying. You know, that shows the importance of a wife arranging herself under her husband's care. Why you do this in service to God. Now, again, where did we start? You know, it, 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 we started with what he said in verse 21. That you submit to one another in fear of Christ. Some of the translations say out of reverence for Christ. Because of your commitment to Christ, you have this concern, you have this, you know, care for one another. And here he's talking about it, and he gives that, you know, that, that picture again. There's that the, the, the uh, uh, call, you're doing this in service to Christ, and it also puts a limitation on it. You know, it's, first of all, realize this is between a husband and a wife. It's not between every man and every woman. It is not between every man and every woman. It doesn't say, woman, you'll be subject to every man. No, it doesn't at all. It says, wife, you'll be subject to your husband. You, you know, you place yourself there. And it also, it's an obedience to God, which is what he says here. You know, that, that you, you do this in submission to God. You do this in following him in anything that is not sin. Same as what he says in Colossians there, verse 18. Wives, be submissive to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. You know, any submission that we are called to is always in service to God. We are never to submit to anything that crosses that line. We're never to submit to anything that crosses that line of our service to God and of walking in obedience to God. Here, God calls on wives to offer submission to the husband's leadership that is consistent with the ethical demands of the gospel. That is consistent with walking with what it means to be one in Christ. Now that becomes clear as he addresses the husband in verse 19. Look at verse 19. Husbands, love your wives. There's enough to work on right there. Husbands, love your wives. He goes on. And don't be bitter to them. Now notice, this verse is directed to the husband about the wife, not to the wife about the husband. There we go. Apparently I was behind. 
You're not to be bitter towards your wife because you can't separate this. This is not proof texting. We looked at this back, look back up in verse 13 where he tells us that we're told to forgive one another just as the Lord has forgiven us. The silent treatment is the dumbest, unbiblical reaction you can have to each other. You're not going to solve anything. All right, you might need to go back, you know, and sit for a moment so you can, you know, get yourself under control. You know, but what he's what he's what he's calling, you know, the relationship here. He's calling, you know, for, between the the husband and the wife, uh, you know, that the wife the husband cannot, you know, don't be bitter toward you. There needs to be forgiveness there. That word bitter, it means bitter. It really means to become bitter. Uh, you know, when you don't forgive, you become bitter. When you don't forgive, you mull this over. You know, and you, know, you stepped on my toe, and I am not going to forget that. My toe still hurts. And I don't care, you know, how much you want to dance. I am not dancing with you anymore because you stepped on my toe. You see, what we do is we begin, when we don't forgive, we remember. And we go over and 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 over, don't we? And what it is is somebody just pokes us again, just pokes us in the eye again, just pokes us in that sore spot again, just whacks us one more time where we are already bruised and we don't want it. You see, and when we don't forgive, we're the ones poking that sore. We're the ones, we're the ones who, who keep bringing, we're the ones, you know, even if we, sometimes even if we don't say anything to the other person, we're the ones who keep that alive. We're the ones who pick the scab off of it. And you know what happens when you pick the scab off of it? It gets uglier. Just try that sometime, you know, when you scrape your knee or something, just every time a scab gets on there, pick that sucker off. Just pick it away until it's all gone. And you keep doing that and it'll, 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 it'll just get uglier and uglier. There's a good picture for you. Don't be, you know, don't. Be bitter toward them. I found it interesting that the word can also mean to become irritated. Well, it kind of irritates me, but um, I have to go with what it says. Uh, you know, the, uh, you ever have a little irritation and it keeps up and it keeps up and it keeps up? Uh, a week or so ago, I had something was poking me in my shirt. And not every once in a while, it just kept poking me and it just kept poking me and I took my shirt off, and I turned, and there's a seam there, and I said, I don't know what it was, it just got poking me, and it was bugging me. Now, I had a choice, I could either keep being bugged and keep being poked, or I could do something about it, well, I chose to do something about it, well, in that case, I changed my shirt, don't change your wife, you know, but that's not the, that's not the, that's not the picture here, you know, the picture here, you know, is, is that you do something to resolve it, you need to do what you, whatever needs to be done to resolve it, a husband, why, the husband is called to do what, love his wife, to love his wife. Husbands, love your wife. You know, he's called to love. That word love there is, is agape love. That, that love with, with, with an affectionate, sympathetic, selfless love that always seeks the best for her. That sounds a little bit like maybe what, if you start with that, submit to one another out of reverence, submit to one another in fear of Christ, you will be here much sooner. 
with this selfless love that seeks the best for them. That's the kind of love God gives us. God so loved, that's that same word, God so loved the world that he did what? Gave his only son, his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him, whoever it is, no matter how jerky they are, no matter how stupid they are, whoever believes in him, no matter how dumb they are, no matter how much, what, what kind of sins they committed, that whoever comes to him, no matter how, you know, if they've murdered people, no matter if they've slandered people, no matter if they've cheated people, no matter if they're the, the, the grumpiest person on the earth, whoever comes to him, He gives them forgiveness. He gives them cleansing. That whoever believes in him will not perish. They will not perish for their own sin. Why? Because he died for us. You see, there's, that's that love that he calls us to. The husband's way to relate to his wife is always with love leading the way. There is, there is never a reason for this not to happen. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. You know, there have been times where I've uh, responded and reacted to Ginny and love was not leading the way. You know, might be my irritation, my frustration, my whatever, you know, tiredness. But God calls us to love our wives with love leading the way here. Again, Ephesians helps us see this a little more clearly. Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with washing by the, uh, by the, of water by the word. A husband measures the way that he loves his wife by comparing it to the way that Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. There's the measurement. If you think you're doing pretty good because you got her a dozen roses for uh, Valentine's Day or you got her a box of chocolate for Valentine's Day, suck it up, buttercup. You didn't any close. You are not close at all. You know, get your little twinkle toes in the right area here because what he's calling us to is to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That's the goal. That's what you strive for. That's how you work toward. That's, that, that's what you do. And he says that the goal of that love for our, her, for our wife is to make her holy. To help her grow. To be set apart for God's use, not as our servant. To be set apart, to make her holy, to be all she can be in Christ. Because it says, you know, to make her spiritually clean. By helping her, you know, helping her to know God better. To know God's word better. Cleansing her, you know, with washing of the water by the word. Part of your leadership responsibility to your wife, men, is to be able to speak to them about and with and through scripture. Take, I have a pulpit in the bedroom, and I wheel it over every once in a while to the end of the bed, and I help Ginny out. That's not what he's talking about. What, but what he is talking about is, do you ever talk to your wife about what God is doing in your life? Not what you're doing at work. Yeah, those are good things. You know, not just what God, not, not what you're doing at work and not just what happened, you know, on your way home and not just, you know, about the person that you met at the store. Those are all good things and you should talk to them about that. But are you talking to them 
about what God is doing in your life individually and together as husband and wife. Are you talking about those things God is doing together with you as a couple, as a family? This is part of what he calls us to. That we are to, this is how we are to lead. We are to love them like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. We are to do what we can to make her holy and to to be all she can be in Christ. And to help her, you know, to grow in that. The husband is to lead so the wife can grow to be all she can be in God. We get a little bit broader picture again in 1 Peter chapter 3. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Oh, I just don't get it. Live with them in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now, again, some of you stop listening right there at that word. Don't. Uh, you know, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. That word vessel, uh, it, it, it speaks of a household, a household implement or utensil. That's what the word means. It's the same word used in John 19:29 when Jesus is hanging on the cross and it says that he, he says, I, you know, I'm thirsty. And it says that they, that what they did is it says that they found a jar, a vessel, same word, a vessel of vinegar and they soaked a sponge in it and, and gave him a drink. You know, that, that, that jar, that vessel, it's something you need to treat with extra care. Because notice what he says, showing honor. You are showing honor to your wife. It means placing that high value on your wife. Placing her as someone who is, is, is special, as someone who, is, who you value highly. You're not married. These are the things you should be looking for in a husband and a wife. Those of you who are already married, you should have looked. So now learn. Uh, And be what God has called you to be. This is what he's called us to be. And the husband is to place a high value on his wife. Showing her honor. Showing her. How have you lived this week to show honor to your wife? What have you done to show honor to her? This is what he called it to. I read a commentator somewhere uh, that compared this vessel to fine china. To fine china. Something you treat with extra care. Something you, you, know, you, you don't use. To, you, I, I've never used a, a china cup to pound a nail. What I want you to see here is that a husband and wife are both heirs of the grace of life. Equal in Christ. Joint heirs together in Christ. A husband is to lead, not to force his control, but to treat his wife with that special care given to valuable items. 
And a wife is to fully participate, not force her will, and not run from her responsibility to help support and guide. Now, you may have heard, you know, it said that the husband's the head of the home. You know, and the wife is the neck that turns the head. Now, that's said sometimes in jest, you know, but, but there's a lot of truth to this. There is a lot of truth to this because a wife helps her husband see more. And usually from a different perspective. Have you ever had a stiff neck? Ooh, it is not fun, is it? It is not fun at all, you know. So let me just throw in wives, don't be stubborn. You know, but you know, the, the, you know, it, it really hinders you. But, you know, that neck, that neck can help, you know, help to help. And there's a lot of truth to what we see sometimes as a joke. Jenny has helped me see things that I don't see in and of myself. I've told you before, you know, one of the things that she said to me, you know, years ago, and I still remember it saying it. And um, she's had to remind me every once in a while, you know, when I would do something or say something and she'd say to me, you know, they have feelings. Just yesterday we were at a wrestling meet um, and uh, Michael was wrestling this kid, apparently whose parents were sitting right in front of me, <laughs> videotaping. Michael won on points. So what they have on the video, and I, I really felt like I should apologize to him afterwards, what they have on the videotape of their son is, get him! Michael, get him. Good job. Good job. You know, and while their kid is being pinned and being, he didn't pin him, but, you know, getting him down. And, it, and um, uh, you know, the, uh, how, you know, uh, so Jenny goes, She still helps me see things. She still helps me see things that sometimes are very obvious right in front of me. Um, it is not, it is, I, I've helped her see things as well, you know. Um, I give, just ask her, I give her, we call it Pat's Helpful Hints. And I give her Pat's helpful hints about everything. And, you know, sometimes she's doing something. I'll say, would you like a helpful hint? And she'll say no. But sometimes she says yes. Um, you know, it's not a, it, is, it is not a discredit to a husband. You know, it, it, it is a sign of a good God-honoring uh, leadership to respect and consult and, and, and value his wife. That's the picture we have here. Verse 20, we're going to hit this very quickly. seems to kind of round out the family unit. Uh, it says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Ephesians uh, chapter 6, verse 2 reminds us that this is the first command with a promise. Now, again, the limits are set here. You know, limits are set here the same as those given to the wife. You know, a child is to obey because it pleases the Lord. You know, if there's leading in things that do not please the Lord, they should not obey. Now, a huge distinction between a child and a wife here is that a child, you know, has not yet learned what pleases the Lord. You know, but the wife is, is grown an adult, and she has. But so, you know, here, but a warning is given to the fathers. 
You know, the ones who are supposed to be leading the family, uh, leading the family in love to know the Lord. Look at verse 21. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. Mandy used to tell me this verse quite often. Mandy memorized this verse, and when I would say something to her, she'd say, Fathers, don't exasperate your children. And she she would tell me this. The word exasperate means to stir up, to provoke, to excite. Uh, here it's in an evil or a negative sense. You know, you, you're not trying to, to break their spirit, uh, you know, even when you're correcting them. Oh my gosh, don't ever call, don't ever call your kids stupid. Don't ever, don't ever do anything so foolish. Don't ever tell them you always do this or you never do that. Don't say those things. Don't say those things to your kids. My gosh, Get alongside them and love them and correct them in love. And remember, the goal is not to get them to obey you. Uh, You know, the goal is is that you intentionally help your children know and follow God. That's your goal. That's your goal in correction. That's your goal in what you teach them. That's your goal in how you interact with them. That they will come to know and to follow God. You lead them in such a way that they will see God more clearly. You lead them in such a way that you are helping them to grow to be all they can be in Christ. That relationship changes over the years, but it doesn't end. Ask Marcy. I give her helpful hints too. You know, it, it, it doesn't. They, it, that, that's always your goal for them. Certainly, it changes. You know, it changes as they grow. It's, but but it, that's that's the goal. And this is done by your clear example and your intentional teaching. It's done by both of those things. Let me give you an illustration uh, that I, I hope will wrap all of these verses uh, together for you. You know, in your job. Whatever job you have or had, whatever, whatever that is, you agreed to, you know, you, you agreed to work under, uh, you know, someone who you will allow to lead you. And whatever job it is that you had or have, you know, you agreed to work under someone who you allowed to lead you. Now, the best boss is one who helps you do your job well, uh, you know, and even steps in to help you do well. That's the best type of boss you could have, uh, you know, one who would come alongside you and help you to succeed. Now, you may be smarter than that person. You may be nicer than that person. You may be more talented, you know, than, than that person. And you may have a better understanding of the job than that person but you and you hired in you agreed to enter into your position to work under that person's leadership and authority for the betterment of the company that's what you signed on for and in this job you have some new people that come in underneath you and these new people come in underneath you that you have to train to know the job so that they can do their job well and as they're doing their job well you're doing this because you want the whole organization to succeed you want everything you know to succeed you want what's best for the organization that you are a part of the best relationship you can have is that of a team you know, that's the very best one. Both working together, you know, all working together to reach, to reach what, what is best for the organization. That's the picture that you should have of the relationships that are called for here between a husband and a wife and the children. In your family, do what is for their good in Christ. Do what is for their good. Husband, wife, parents, children live for the good of each member of your family 
Work for your spouse's good. Work for your child's good. Work for the good of the other in every interaction, in every action, in every thought. Work for their good. Work for their good, not for your comfort. For their good. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for what you have done for us in Christ. And what a great reminder of us working for the good of all we interact with. Those who don't know you, that they might come to know you. Those whom we have the honor and the privilege to have as our spouse, as our children, grandchildren, even great-grandchildren. Father, however long and however many you give us that opportunity to have a relationship with, help us to do it in a godly and a God-honoring manner. In a manner that will help them come to know you and grow in you to be all they can be in Christ. And that puts a responsibility on us to grow so that we can help our spouse grow, so that we can help our children grow, so that we can help those we have around us. That Still, Father, you've given us the honor and privilege of having a relationship with that we can do all we can to help them grow in you as well. Help us to live for their good, not for our comfort. Thank you that you did that for us when you went to the cross. You did that for our good, not for your comfort. It was not comfortable for you to die on that cross. But it was for our good. And you held that up as the goal that you worked toward. Help us to be like you. To live for the good of those you've given us. Thank you for the reminder of your word. Help us to live it. Help us to put forth the effort that you've called for. And now we know. We pray with thanks in Christ's name. Amen.